welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Over the last 20 years, I've been lucky enough to meet and interview a host of interesting people. This summer, I decided to record some of these conversations for a new podcast. Tune in every Monday for a new episode. Episode 5 with Colleen Carroll. My guest this week is Colleen Carroll. I sat down and talked to her at the Duotone meeting in Tarifa earlier this year. I've long been a fan of Colleen's riding, but it's only in recent years that I've spent a little more time with her and got to know her on a more personal level. What draws me to Colleen is her passion for the sport and her drive to get more women involved in kiteboarding. More than that though, she's extremely positive and very easy to talk to, and I think this shines through in this interview. She's won more trophies than I care to mention, and despite her modesty is one of the best kiteboarders on the planet. And for many years she's been pushing the wake style side of our sport. These days, Colleen is just as competitive as ever, but is also dedicated to helping the younger girls on the Duotone team too. Colleen is exceedingly passionate about the environment, and she has been doing a lot in her local community and further afield to promote ethical living and the reduction of single-use plastics. We talked a little about this and how she's very committed to making her event, the Hood Jam, as sustainable as possible. Over the years, Colleen has had the courage to strike it out in what has been a very male-dominated arena. Taking opportunities as they arose and getting out of her comfort zone has led her to where she is now. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to spread the word, tell your friends and share these on social media. Thanks for sending me some of your feedback. I really appreciate it too. I'll keep working to bring you a new episode every week. I'm sat here with a very talented lady by the name of Colleen Carroll. She's had a a very successful career within the kiteboarding industry, um, won numerous events and is kind of a bit of a pioneer, I would say, within female kiteboarding. I think that would be a fair Mm -hmm. thing to say, certainly within the wake style movement. Thank you. Um, So, Colleen, how did you get into water sports? Like, what got you started on this journey? Well, I've been in in water sports my entire life uh, since I was a little kid. My parents were windsurfers. We also live more in the mountains, so we spend a lot of time doing other board sports, snowboarding, um, but also wakeboarding. And so I spent a lot of time going down to Hood River, um, the Columbia River Gorge. Yeah. As a child, because my parents were windsurfers, and so I was trying to learn to windsurf, which is really hard, or at least <laughs> it was for me as a kid. And when I was pretty young, we started seeing kiteboarding first pop up, some of the first two-line old-school crazy stuff. Yeah. And so we didn't get into it right away as a family, but my parents' friends kind of started picking it up here and there, and little by little, they kept saying, you should try it, you should try it. And then uh, my older brother and I kind of begged, you know, we don't want to learn to windsurf anymore, let us kite. So um, we started trying it kind of slowly because I was really uh, I was really passionate about snowboarding yeah. in high school and when I was a teenager, and so I was actually chasing Endless Winter for a while there. But once I graduated college, I had time on my hands and I discovered that I had been living in a really good kite spot, actually. I didn't even really know it. And I met some of the, there's actually a kiteboarding club at my college. No way. And I found out about it right about the time I was graduating, which is kind of funny. (laughs) So just at the end of it all. Just at the end, but I met the guys and they kind of helped me out, um, watching my back when I was still and learning where was that? and stuff. That was in Bellingham. Okay. So I really I really started learning between Hood River and Seattle, a, a spot called Jetty Island. Um, but once I kind of met the crew in Bellingham, it was just a lot quicker for me because I could, it was closer, easier. We have, we had really good wind up there, good, pretty flat water conditions. And yeah, I, once I... Once I really got the hang of it, then my progression was actually really quick, um, probably because I had wakeboarded since I was seven years old, and yeah. I had kind of done the windsurfing thing enough to at least understand how to harness power from wind and some of the characteristics of how wind works. Yeah, so, so you had a bit of a good base knowledge. Yeah, yeah, so then once I was actually kind of up and riding and and thinking it was cool it, it, it happened for me pretty quick actually from there and I when guess. did you become 
I guess, what your class as a professional kiteboarder, where you actually started to really make it your career? Well, I guess I could kind of answer that two different ways because I started um, working in a working in a shop and I was teaching. And when after I graduated from school, I decided I kind of wanted to change the scenery, so that's when I decided to move to Hood River. And I coached for a school there uh, for cascade kiteboarding for a couple summers, actually. And that's when I kind of started seeing more of the industry and thinking, this is pretty cool. You know, I want to I wanna kite more and more. And so I went to Brazil and I learned a bunch of tricks. And that's after I got back from that trip. That's when I got on kind of a shop rider yep. deal through the school I was teaching for at the time. Um, but I wouldn't say that's really when I was a professional because I was still working my butt off to Make afford my travels. Yeah, I would coach, you know, I'd coach and manage the school and schedule lessons and work, 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 work in the summer and then go do a trip or I bartended or I'd wait tables or something. Um, but after, after a, a couple of years of, of kind of, working to go on kite trips i um i got into the triple s in oh geez i can't even think of what year it was well i think i've done seven triple s's now so wow. maybe 2000 and that's the big competition in the u.s right it's like yeah sort of like the u.s nationals almost because there isn't yeah. really much of a scene over there for competition totally. so and this really served as a launching pad for what i would say was my professional career because i put a wild card in which means I didn't, it's an invite only event and I didn't have an invite, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to compete. And so I put a video in, uh, and they chose my video. So I was kind of a rookie usually are the ones who win these. And then it was my first year in the event and I took second overall. So that I think really kind of gave me a gave me a, a boost pad, yeah. for sure it totally acted, acted as a launching pad and that's when i think a few you know a few of the people i knew in the industry who kind of had some pull i think that's when they kind of got their attention a little bit because i had already worked in the industry as a as ma- i had managed a shop and taught and all this so i i had some contacts but once i actually showed up for a competition which i hadn't really competed before that i'd done a few small for fun events, but that's a serious event. It's our biggest event in North America. And I got on the podium and I think that's when a few people kind of looked at me a little differently. And then that fall was when a close friend of mine who's worked for North for a long time, uh, he said that he thought he, he's like, you know, I wouldn't have said this before, but I think that you've kind of started to prove yourself a bit. I want to pitch you to North. Um, so that's Dan Schwartz, our, our West Coast rep. Yeah. And so he he pushed for me um, to join the international team for North and Ion. Now Duotone. Now Duotone, <laughs> Now yeah. Duotone. Uh, and so I've been with them ever since. For, so it's almost seven years that I've been riding professionally for, board, for the boards of more brands. And every year, you know, I feel more supportive for them and I try to supported by them and i try to work harder for them and yeah i mean it's been it's been a pretty good ride <laughs> awesome and that first triple s event that you did i mean that used to be the triple s stood for slick sliders and surfing yes were you competing across yep. all three so were you Everybody riding did surfboard yeah. slicks and sliders and where was your strength because obviously for people listening to this you know sliders is like hitting a wake park yeah so you've got kickers and you've got features that you've got to hit had you yeah. ever ridden those before when you rocked up or oh you... yeah yeah i had um and actually i'd mostly hit them snowboarding okay so the park was a nat- natural appeal to me because i had grown up doing these sports that kind of have a park element to them as well so yeah. Uh, it was actually pretty early on in kiting. I got interested in it because I just immediately related it to what I had done in snowboarding. Yeah. Um, and so that first year sliders was definitely my strongest suit. Slick was, or surf was definitely my weakest suit. Uh, I like to go out and slash some waves, but I'm not your forte. uh, No, not, not for sure. Not, um, so 
And then freestyle, I've always loved freestyle. It's super fun, and I can do some tricks. I'm not the best in the world, but I really enjoy it, and I like to add my own style to it. So I think that, I think that's always helped me there. So it was the first, I can't remember how many years, a couple years where we did all three of these disciplines. Uh, and it was super fun, but it was completely different in the sense that Triple S back then uh, had no prize money, didn't have these amazing massive concerts with these big bands. And it was kind of a, a jam session. They were really looking for progression, so... They would, there'd be two heats, guys and girls would all ride at the same time, jam session for an hour and a half or hour or whatever it was. You all judge each other, you party at night, there's no heat times, you know, <laughs> sometimes you didn't, yeah, it was really relaxed. So it was, um, it was definitely different than it is now. It was awesome and super fun. Now everyone takes it a lot more seriously, uh, and, with that, I think, as people started getting more serious about it, kind of because of, partially because of conditions yeah. and length of the competition format as kind of the style of writing has evolved, right now we could, there's no way we could complete three disciplines in one week, so... It doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't happen anymore. And also, in the Outer Banks, the wave season is, is in the fall. So yeah. in June, you can get lucky with a little bit of swell here or there, but for the most part, it's not it's when not. they have good waves. So it wasn't even showcasing the best of what they have. So they actually started a second event, the Wave Classic, that yes, happens in the later fall. later in the year. Yeah, which which I think is better for everyone. And let's be honest, the best park riders in the world aren't going to be the best kite surfers in the world. That's to- two totally different groups of people. Yeah. So it's cool that they can really yeah differentiate from it and i guess if you're if you're training really hard to be good in the park you just don't have the time to be training really hard to be good at surf so you're just going to end up being average at all of those exactly rather than a master of one i mean there's your occasional superhuman who comes out and they're really good at multiple disciplines but yeah for the most part if you're trying to be the best in the world at something you're not going to be the best at the world at three different disciplines (laughs) of the same sport Um, and when you came second that first time, you must have obviously, you were the rookie, you were the new person on the, on the scene, you were the new person at the event. What did the other girls think of you when you rocked up? Like, how was that breaking into that sort of, that group of people? Was it quite clicky or were they quite welcoming or were they like, who's this rider that's come along and jumped on the podium? No, I think it was really welcoming. It was also a smaller, there weren't as many women in the competition then, so there maybe there wasn't as much competition, but they also, I didn't expect to get on the podium that year, for sure not. Um, but no, I think they were super encouraging and inviting and happy for me when I landed new tricks, and um, yeah, it was... It was a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been on to win that competition yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Um, how does it feel when you get to stand on the top step? It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And are you still chasing that goal? Is that one of the things that you want to do is to get back on the top step again every year? Yeah. Um, that you can? Is that what you're working towards? Or are you now after seven years thinking, okay, I've won it a bunch. I don't need to be pushing as hard as I maybe used to. I don't have to win it, of course not. I mean, not that that's something you just get to choose, but, oh, I absolutely, if I show up to an event, I want to try to win. That's yep. the goal. That's why I'm there. Uh, this year was a really hard year for me. Mostly, you know, our conditions were quite different from any year we've had. Um, so we had to do a super shortened version of, super shortened version of what our competition really should have been or normally is. Uh, and so it kind of just is the way the cookie crumbled for me, I guess. Um, I could have done more. I also feel like I just didn't quite get so lucky. Um, but that's competition and that happens and everyone has to show up and take the conditions as they come. I mean, we're all out there at the same time, so, um, you just have to make the most of it. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely disappointed anytime I don't win, but at the same time i yeah i'm i'm pushing for a lot of other things in kiteboarding right now and 
what I'm trying to do in the industry um, with some kind of female-specific kite projects. And uh, I'm trying to develop a project right now to kind of leverage, um, I guess, the voice that I have uh, and the following that I have to kind of spread some, some things that I've noticed and I feel about what we're doing to our oceans and our planet. And um, I don't want to shake my finger at anyone, but I, I would like to just spread some things that I feel like I'm learning and getting more tuned into. And so I definitely have some of these things that maybe are becoming more important to me than winning. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I can maybe leave a little bit more of a legacy if I group together with some other people and do some of these, some of these projects that I have in the works. So, um, it's cool. And also, I mean, when I got on the North team for freestyle, free ride, whatever you want to call it, maybe there's two, three women, three of us, yeah, I think, or many. something, not many. Uh, and now our team's growing. We definitely have the biggest women's freestyle team in the industry. I think we have the best women's freestyle team in the industry. Of course, there's other good riders on other brands, <laughs> but as a collective team, yeah, um, it's pretty strong. It's super strong, and we have a couple girls that will rejoin the world tour as it as it shapes up. Uh, and you know, Francesca Bagnoli and Mika Sol, she's they're both riding so good. Mika's only 13, I think. Yeah, or she's something. really young. She's so young, and um, Paula Novotna is still riding really, really good. Uh, we have Hannah Whiteley now, too, who's always killed it across multiple disciplines. So uh, it's really exciting for me to be a part of this and to kind of start to step into that um, role as kind of the veteran on the team because I can, you know, I can work with someone like Mika, and I can, I can really help um, – not in kiting. She'd school me in a game of kite. But I think in some of these things that I've learned um, from being in the industry for yeah. quite a while now. Like how to behave and how to interact with people and how and to how get to, the most out of it. And how, how to, to enjoy do it. Do a photo shoot. How to yeah. um, just, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's definitely things that I can now, like you said, kind of step into a little bit of a different role. Uh, and that's, that's something I definitely want. Um, but I'm, I'm still competitive and I know I can still tread and. When you rock up to an event, you want to win it. Yeah. Have you for always, sure. have you always had a competitive nature? Were you competing in wakeboarding and snowboarding and stuff? Or no. was it really just from kiteboarding that you got into it? It was really just kiting. I, it's, it's funny. That's quite really... strange. A lot of people are like, yeah. they're just super competitive no. in everything they do. And then they come to kiting and they no. want to compete. As a kid, I, I did gymnastics and I loved it. And then. I got to the age where they go, okay, now it's time to compete. And I just went, no way, I can't compete. No, 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 not me. I don't want to compete. I don't want to compete. And same as snowboarding. Uh, I mean, I was living for snowboarding and a lot of my friends were kind of aspiring semi-pro or professional snowboarders. And I just didn't really care. I, I don't know. I just wanted to go shred with my friends in the backcountry and keep it fun. Laps and, um, yeah, it, it, kiteboarding definitely. I don't know if it created the competitive side in me or if it woke it up or, or whatever it was. Um, I think for me, I, I never set out to be a competitive rider and I didn't even really necessarily set out to be a pro kiter. It was more, I feel like it was more opportunistic yeah. the way I went about it. It was that. I knew I loved the sport and I knew I was ready for kind of a change in scenery living in the nor like north northwest which has cold dark days a lot <laughs> of the year and um I started traveling and I was falling more and more in love with the sport and wanting to see more of the world I hadn't traveled very much at that point and I think it was just I realized, whoa, I'm actually kind of good at this. Maybe, maybe there's a way for me to keep doing more of this if I keep trying to get better at this. Yeah. So it was kind of just looking for those opportunities. And then when the opportunities did present themselves, really grabbing hold of them yeah, and, and taking them 
and taking them and, and really when someone threw me a bone because it happened a lot I did not get here on my own um, like I said you know Dan Schwartz just full, just straight up pitched me to North and he he really that was a friend that I had from the industry who um, he, he went out on a limb for me and I've had various opportunities Maybe not quite as big as that, but a lot of people that have said, hey, you know, maybe I can hook you up with this or with this shooter. Come live in my house while, while you know, it's the windy season and, and kite more. And um, that was some friends, Carol and Tony Volstead from Hood River, that um, they did that for me the first winter I was traveling. And I just saw them on the beach and they said, come live with us in Texas and, and kite all winter and, you know. If you can't pay us for rent, it's okay. And, don't and worry about it. Don't worry about it, you know. And um, But I tried, I really tried to never let these people down. Because yeah. um, I think that that's something that's really important. If, if your sponsors, if you're, if you're just starting out and you get a sponsorship and it's really small, you know, maybe they're not giving you that much. Um, you need to over-deliver. Yeah. You know, under-promise, over-deliver. Um, don't make grand promises of things you might or might not do. Um, and I think this has really, really served me well because, um, every year I try to do more to deliver. And, um, I think my sponsors and the people that have supported me appreciate in turn. That. Yeah. Yeah. They appreciate that. And, I don't know. Keeps you where you are. Keeps you where you are at the moment. It gets you to where you've been. Yeah, it's good. Sure. No, it's Um, You touched on a couple of things there that I wanted to speak to you about anyway before um, I sort of planned to have a chat with you. And one of them was the, you know, the women's camps that you've been working on because there's always been a big focus on encouraging more women to get into kiteboarding because it's such a fantastic sport and it's so easy for them to get into but often they'll go to the beach and look at it and just think oh I can't do that or you know that just looks too hard or whatever um you know how long have you been sort of championing that and working towards getting these women's camps off the ground and you know what's your sort of driving force behind that I guess well the driving force behind that is that I want to shred with more women (laughs) (laughs) um but more than that I do think there's these mis you know, um, like there's this stigma about kiting that it is super extreme and it is really hard and you have to be really strong and blah, blah, blah. We've all heard it. Um, but women can be the best students. They can learn the quickest because they're a lot of times they have more finesse. They are more patient. They think about it before they try (laughs) and listen. Um, and so I think there's no reason why we can't have just as many women on the water as guys. Uh, but to the camp specifically, I started doing a few camps with, uh, Tanya Farman for her, her school, the, the first school that I worked for Cascade Kiteboarding in Hood River. Um, she organized a few that I did. And after that, it, it was such a cool week and such a cool experience. Uh, not only for the women in the camp, I got a lot out of it because these women that come to the camp to learn to kiteboard, they, they're awesome. I mean, they come from all different backgrounds. They're super cool. They're really chill. They're there because they want to be there. Um, and I, I feel like after every camp, I walk away going, whoa, I really learned something from these women. And it had been a few years since I had done these camps with Tanya. Uh, and my best girlfriend, Sensi Graves, who's also a pro kiter, and myself, she had actually done some with Tanya too. And, you know, we were kind of thinking, ah, we'd really like to do more camps. And, um, Tanya's always done her in, in Baja, which are great. But yeah. since he and I travel the world and we're kind of going, kind of want to do some camps somewhere else. Kind of want to do them. Maybe we do them on our own. And so, uh, the last couple of years we've started doing a few of these camps and I've just always had the same, ex- same feeling as kind of those first ones where I leave the week just feeling exhausted physically but really (laughs) revived just in spending a week with total strangers that come from all across the world totally different backgrounds professions demographics whatever and then you spend a whole week you really get to know someone and just the way that everybody's coming there to have a great week to share stories to learn from each other and 
it's a really empowering experience. How many of these camps are you running a year now? We've just done one a year for the last little bit, but we we want to do, we'd like to have a schedule of three a year. Okay. I think would be, that would be the goal. I think maybe next year we can do two. Yeah. Um, we were, we're still talking to see if we can pull one off in this December. Um, we've kind of had mixed advice about a location that we wanted to do one at, so... <laughs> um, we kind of scrapped our, our plan that we were going to have in December. We really wanted to do one in December, but I think now we might be working, um, working on one in January in the Philippines possibly, but oh, nice. can't, can't really nail that one down right at this moment. Um, it's only July, so we, we have yeah, time. Yeah, still got time to organize Yeah, it. but we've been doing them mostly in Mexico so far, and I love Mexico. Sensi loves Mexico. Um, it's a great place for us to go from North America. We have so many good flights and um, I just really vibe well with the culture and kiting's good. <laughs> and what would you say to um, any women listening to this who, you know, maybe haven't tried kiteboarding or never thought about trying it? You know, what's your advice to someone thinking, oh, maybe I should give that a go? Do it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> go to a school. I mean, don't just do it on your own. Go to a good school. Um do your research on what school you're going to go to because they can make or break your experience. I think this is really important. And luckily, the schools, I think, are getting better and better. Um, but, yeah, and, and also find a find a good location. Find somewhere where it's going to be your style. Um, I A lot of people try to force it in places that are really cold or not that windy or they have to chase it and they have to reschedule and reschedule and reschedule. And I think if you really want to learn, sometimes it's nice to just go on vacation, book it somewhere where it's, you know it's the be good. peak season. The wind stats are really good for that time of year and you can get multiple days in a row. This, this is something that I've seen as a, as a coach that kiting consecutively is so beneficial you just you progress leaps and leaps being able to just build off the day before go every day yeah <laughs> and then you go in the next day and you get a yeah. bit better and get a bit better rather than having a break in between yeah. where it kind of drops off a little bit just make it fun and what about for girls that want to come on your camps have you got a certain level they need to be at or is it kind of all inclusive or what's the deal with that so typically we've run intermediate and above which means you have to be able to be self-sufficient you yeah. can ride and stay up when you you can do self-rescue you can launch a land your kite safely um and this is really where we've started yeah uh however we are kind of expanding this um to beginners as well um but it's more limited because the way that we do that is we'll always partner with a local school so um, we can still include a couple, a certain amount of beginners each camp, um, where we can be in the group, do the group activities together. And, and it adds to the dynamic because it's cool to have a few, a little bit bigger group yeah. and people at different points in their progression. Uh, we did this with the last one. We had two beginners, uh, and six intermediate kiters and it was great. It was really cool because the beers are so excited and you know, they're just Super really pumped. fired up. They're really pumped on, <laughs> on every day learning, you know, a, a little bit. And then some of the more intermediate girls are even giving them some advice. So it really, I think it adds to this group bonding kind of experience that goes on, which is, um, it, it really, I don't know if that sounds cheesy, but it really is very cool. And it, so we, we like this. We kind of tested it with the last one, but we just team up with a local school and that way we can, um, we can get them the one on, levels. yeah, we can get the one-on-one -on -one attention that beginners need, uh, cause we're never going to try to teach beginners in a larger group setting and we can still focus on jumps and, you know, riding surfboards or yeah. doing more advanced tricks or what, you know, For even some foiling. Ladies. We had some foiling um, interest the last one. So, um, no, we're doing our best to definitely accommodate all levels. 
Okay, and um, I know something else that you're passionate about, which you touched on briefly there, was uh, you know your passion for the environment, recycling, single-use plastics, all that kind of thing. What's your? I mean, it's 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 kind of a silly question because obviously it's obvious what your motivation is behind it. But what makes you so much more passionate? Do you think about these issues than other people, and how are you working towards making some changes? Um, I mean, it's hard to compare my motivation to other people, I guess. Uh, I do have an environmental economics degree, which was... Okay. That's what I went to school for, uh, which I think it should have been more appropriately called a sustainable business degree. So, okay. Um, growing up in the Northwest, as a kid, I play outside every day. I run around the woods. I go on the rivers and oceans, and I, I've been a snowboarder my whole almost my whole life so i don't want our winners to disappear and i think i've just been switched on to this from a kid and from spending so much time outside and my parents are also environmentally aware um but i did also study this in school uh and actually since traveling more is when it's really I guess pulled on my heartstrings even more because everywhere I go, I see plastic and I see garbage and I see, you know, really contaminated, dirty water pouring into the oceans. And it's, it's right in front of my face. A lot of the places we go. So I feel like I can't, not that I'd want to ever ignore it, but I I can't shouting at me to get on board and try and do something about it. And, um, I don't feel like I've, done nearly enough yet i mean i try to minimize my footprint and i try to encourage the people around me to do the same um in hood river and i'd say even lately i feel like we're kind of infiltrating the whole kpl um i'd say our crew of riders are more environmentally minded than a lot of others that i meet and maybe that's because you know sensi is really strong in this feeling too we spend a lot of time together and kind of do these camps together and stuff and um but so is her boyfriend brandon and a few of the other riders on tour and so i think because we kind of have it's not just one person being the annoying person to remind <laughs> you to you bring know, your own water bottle shaming and... you for yeah not having your own water bottle um it is kind of just becoming more of a way of life that we're all practicing um, but we're also trying to do it through our events. So hood jam that I organize super small things like hydro flask gives us water bottles always. And we give free beer at our parties for anyone that brings their own reusable cup. You know, we won't use single use plastic keg cups. Yeah. Um, so they're really, really small things, but even just doing something small like that, I think if you, put it in a good way you put it in a positive way you don't you don't necessarily shame somebody for not knowing it but you just explain it to them they're really open to it they go oh that's actually really cool you know and then we can just spread these little messages these little hints of like you know oh maybe you don't need to put all of your fruit in plastic bags or something at the grocery store like here bring this here um we do get some various reusable bags it's like hey guys use these to go get your groceries like at triple s they always give us these kind of cool canvas sacks and all the riders go okay so then they use them for the groceries the whole time that they're that they're there and there are these really small things but we have to start doing something and i think even just talking about it helps as well um because it does spread that message and um i do have ideas and plans to develop a a project that I hope we'll do more than what I'm doing right now um, to create awareness and to um, hopefully instill some change. But I don't want to say too much because it's totally just ideas at this point. (laughs) Do you think the U.S. is uh, quite backward in its attitude towards this kind of stuff? I don't know. I mean, I've I've been there a few times and uh, in Europe now, you know, we don't have plastic bags in supermarkets Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And people are really getting wise to it and then i remember going to orlando for surf expo 
and just being horrified that at breakfast so, we had polystyrene plates and plastic knives and forks for 600 people eating breakfast every day. And I was just like, what? I didn't even think polystyrene was allowed in, you know, in, in educated countries anymore. I thought we'd got rid of that. Something we have to remember about the States, and I have to tell myself this all the time because I get really frustrated by things like this because I feel like I can't do anything about it and it's happening so quick and I'm, it, it scares me, honestly. Um, the U.S. is huge. It's just geographically, it's massive. And there's going to be very different people all over the places. And sure, in various communities, we're super far behind. In various communities, I think we're ahead. Uh, in some cities, they're starting to wake up and and create some change. Um, Seattle just banned. Seattle's banned plastic bags. Portland banned plastic straws. San Francisco, I think, has banned both, maybe. Um, and there's hope for stronger policies. That that actually was something that um, Sensi and I were hoping to make happen this year is get plastic straws banned in Hood River. Um, and it's these small things that that's where I, I feel like I have to take it because if I think about it from even, you know, our country as a whole, it's super discouraging for me. Yeah. I get really discouraged that there's nothing I can do and yeah. there's no change that I can it's too make. big for one it's person to affect way too change. big and daunting, but we can take it, you know, you can scale it down and think locally and maybe you can have some change locally because in a town like Hood River where we live, it's 7,500 people. So that's not as hard. That's not as hard. We go around to a few restaurants and we start talking to them and we get them to switch from plastic straws or not use straws at all. Um, talk to our city councilors who are much more reachable to yeah. us than in a major city. And hopefully we can do it. And if... Maybe we spread our message. Maybe someone else thinks, oh, I could probably do that in my small town. And who knows? Before you know it, hopefully it's catching on. You've planted enough small seeds for it to grow and exactly. expand. But there's, I mean, at the same time, the U.S. is so big and it's so diverse. You can't put it all under one blanket no matter what. So you're all, you're going to find everything yeah. in the different parts that you go. There's a kind of a real mix. For sure. Um, you mentioned there the Hood Jam, which yeah. is an event that you've... Um, been involved with since its inception right mm -hmm. how is it running an event like that and organizing an event like that really hard <laughs> <laughs> to go really from competing to then organizing it must be tough because i don't have the time to do it as good as i want to do it i want to do it better and bigger and keep it growing and have more prize money for the riders and have more perks for the riders and have more media and um, I want to do it all, but I don't have very much time and I'm still competing in the event, which definitely also makes it extra very challenging, hard. very hard. Um, I'm, I think I'm getting better at delegating though. I'm getting better at enlisting volunteers and I'm hiring a, a manager for the week of, so I think that will really help. Um, but no, it's, it's a huge challenge, but I, I do really enjoy it though. I, I, really enjoy um, organizing events and I think we really need them in kiting and it's even though my schedule and my personal preservation would say don't don't do that don't do that you don't have time um, I think right now especially um, we need our events to stay consistent happen year over year grow um events are really good people people like events it gives younger riders something to aspire to this is something that i think took kite park league and park riding a little bit to grow for whatever reason it seemed like it was kind of riders a little bit older riders that were really into it but we've just in the last year i feel like we have a lot more younger riders which is super that's what i really want to see and I think a lot of that is because we have more events. We don't only have the Triple S now. We have the Triple S. We have Hood Jam. We'll have various others. We'll probably have another event in the Philippines at some point soon. We're going to have an event in Brazil this year, which is really exciting. Um, and Carolina's building a park in Poland. She's 
as she says, building her army (laughs) (laughs) Um, of next generation kiters and they're shredding. Um, And so I think having events like this gives a more tangible idea to chase after for these younger riders that they go, well, I really like this, but I don't have direction. So I just go out and do this or this, but giving them a goal gives them a, a little bit more thoughtful way of maybe training or, or pursuing their dreams. Uh, and we also were pretty close with the guys at world-class kite Academy. Um, partially because two of the managers from it are from Hood River, so they're friends of ours, but they've also done seasons in Hood River, and uh, they're organizing a junior jam this year. Um, So that's an event where they will compete in the park, and I'm really excited for it. I'm so stoked they're doing it. And just in this one year since creating this event, all their groms in their school program are training at the cable and Build, helping build rails and they went to I think it was Sicily maybe where they went and were hitting a kicker and learning some new tricks and now we have a whole bunch of kids that are going to come and um, compete in the junior jam and then we're going to give them the winners we're going to give the winners places in our main the event so I think it's um, yeah I, I just I really believe that events are important and something that we need in kiteboarding. Yeah. It's kind of a shame that the freestyle event's kind of so messed up at the moment because it's almost like you've got all these kids that are training for those tricks and those moves and they've not really got anywhere to showcase them right now, which is kind of yeah. sad and it's tough because when you're young and you want to go and achieve yeah. something, that's your goal. And then yeah. they've suddenly had their goal taken away, I guess. So it's good that you're putting things on like that. What's the hardest sure. thing about getting the hood jam off the ground? Sponsors. Always. I mean, if you have money, you can make anything happen. Yeah. Um, but you have to get the sponsors. So this year, um, I'm really stoked. I mean, Duotone, it was North before. Duotone has always supported us since the beginning. They're the, the first ones to say yes to everything we do, which, you know, that's another way that I said I feel like they continue to support me more and more. And part of that is in... Yeah, I'm running an event. It'll be great. <laughs> you know? uh, but they've, they've believed in me and believed in us and they've continued to back us up. And all of our events on the KPL, actually, North, North, now Duotone has sponsored, which I think really says something for kind of our mantra of true kiteboarding because sure, they love strapless freestyle. They love wave riding, um, foiling, big air freestyle. But they don't even forget about, you know, some people would say park riding still a niche, but they, they even show us true support with money. Um, and we have Patagonia, who's also actually sponsored us every year too, which is super cool. Um, cause obviously Patagonia is an amazing company and they're such a big fish. They could be in whatever they want to, but, um, they've chosen to financially support us, you know, for three years now, which is, really amazing and they actually continue to grow their support with us little by little uh and we also have uh wind voyager this year which they've been the title sponsor of triple s for several years and they like what we're doing and so that really helps that we have these guys that we've built kind of a little more long-term relationships with yeah that keep coming back and that's where we really have to make sure we're delivering on our promises but it's always a struggle i mean i hear way more no's than i hear yeses and you just have to go okay well thanks you know even if you worked for days on the proposal you just gotta move on to the next and roll with the punches yeah kind of tough but yeah yeah i can understand that i mean i think what you do with that event is fantastic you know it's a real kind of grassroots um fun kind of event and we'd like to get out there one year and we should get out there one year we're always talking this about year. it when we meet you this year <laughs> this year i know we always talk about it. it's just so expensive getting yeah. over to the states i was chatting to dan um from Hood river earlier peak. and it's just like it's peak time like everything's more expensive crazy crazy yeah. money but maybe we'll come rent a car and live in the boot of it or something like that like <laughs> some of the guys do um you've done quite a lot of traveling over the years um obviously since you've been on the north pro team you've been on some amazing trips and had some pretty cool experiences is there any that really sort of stand out for you where you'd like okay if i could go somewhere tomorrow 
that's the spot I'd choose to go. Gosh. Well, there's a couple that pop into my mind first. Um, for last year's dice shoot, we went to New Zealand. Yeah. And even though our timing wasn't actually that perfect, we had kind of a almost mini hurricane come through when we were there. The weather was really stormy and uh, we didn't, we had to really, really chase the wind. New Zealand is an epic place. It's so beautiful and it has so much potential for all different conditions, which is super cool as well. Because uh, I was on a, I was on a shoot with Reno Romeo and Machu Lopez, so three riders that are very different styles. Um, but all of us can can go and find our conditions in a yeah. country like that. So it's really cool. Uh, we also went to Venezuela and Los Roques a few years back, and just it's beautiful. It's this crazy chain of teeny tiny little islands. We're living on a boat. We'd go to a different island every day and have perfect flat water, and it's you know crystal clear turquoise water, and um, roll up onto the beach of an island that nobody lives on, but fishermen will set up huts where you go to them in the morning and say, hey, can we have dinner tonight? And Okay, yeah, yeah. So they, they fish for you the, the, or the next day or whatever you have to plan it, and they go out and they catch you fish and cook you up a huge awesome. deal right on the beach. So, um, I mean, I don't know if that's advertised. That's just kind of seemed the way it, it yeah, works sometimes. Way it works. And so that was definitely a trip that sticks in my mind. And I would like to, I would like to go back there for sure. And also our, our team trip that we did in, uh, Hood River, I really enjoyed because it really is my favorite place. So you get to call your favorite place home. Yeah. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. It's good. I like it. <laughs> you found the spot. Yeah. And you've obviously been kiting for a long time now and you've won the triple S a bunch of times. You've done so many things. Are there anything when you look back on the amazing career that you have where you think, God, I wish I'd done that differently or damn, I was oh, a bit of a yeah. then and oh, I shouldn't have done that. For sure. <laughs> Loads of times. I mean, we all kook out. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I don't know if there's any specific moments that come to mind, but yeah, I've made loads of mistakes, um, just little or maybe not so little, (laughs) cooking out mid-heat, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't really, I can't really point to a specific specific one. A specific one. It is tough unless there's something really major and you go, damn, I wish I'd said yes to that proposal or should have done that. But Uh, I guess when you look back and think, oh, it's worked out all right, then it's hard to look at it like that. I said yes a lot more than I've said no. Maybe when I shouldn't, when I shouldn't have. (laughs) Um, I think that was part of the key to my success, especially in the beginning is I just, I said yes and I went for it and, um, even if I didn't have much money left, I figured I'd, I'd make it work. Um, that was definitely something that I think really, really helped me out. And, um, I've also put a, I think I've put a pretty strong emphasis on writing for the magazines and being active there. And, um, just if I have, if I'm on a trip, I'm going to, how can I make the most of it? You know, I kind of, maybe I was a little more strategic in that way or something. Um, because I want to make the most out of this, this time, um, for myself and for my sponsors. And, um, yeah, so I think just being open to opportunities when sometimes even people I didn't know that much, yeah, come with us here, you know, and so, but, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? You never know. You never know what that's going to open up for you. And I think especially in the beginning that really helped me get to where I was because I said, even before I had a sponsor, uh, I had a friend say, Hey, I'm driving down to, I'm driving down to Baja with four dudes and we're going to kite. And if you hop in with us, um, you know, you don't have to pay for gas or whatever. And this is actually Tanya Farman's husband, who was the liquid force rep at the time. And, uh, I was, I was kind of repping their kites as a kind of a shop deal. And so I go, okay. And 
halfway down to Baja, I'm looking at my situation going, oh, <laughs> this is a long car ride with a bunch of stinky dudes. But then I spent a few awesome weeks in Mexico and did a few local events, made some friends that invited me to their place for a month and um, just made friends and rolled with it and said yes to opportunities, I guess. Do you think that kind of sums up how your career's gone the way it has just by saying yes and working hard for things is that you think your secret to your success yeah i do for sure i think in the more recent years uh maybe i'm a little bit more strategic in deciding i want i want to do something maybe a little more goal oriented and then i try to take steps towards making that happen uh whereas before it was kind of i was clueless but i was just (laughs) open to what might yeah come my way and then when i was given a bone i would yeah run with it um so now i'd say maybe i'm maybe i'm crafting my my path a little bit more deliberately um but absolutely i think i think it was i mean let's not let's not kid ourselves i've never been the best kiteboarder in the world um but i've definitely worked really hard and i think that working hard and kind of creating your own your own style, your own kind of little niche, something that sets you apart a little bit. Uh, I think, at, at least for me, it was my key to success, yeah. I think you did yourself a disservice there because you are probably one of the best wakeboard style oh, kiteboarders in the world. You've won the Triple S numerous yes, times. I you have. can't sit there at the top of the podium and say, I'm not the best. You are the best. No, You're on the top of the podium. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely one of the best, but, um, I, I mean, I've never put myself up against, I guess, the best freestylers in the world, like yeah. on the world tour or something like that. So, um, and who knows? Maybe if I'd gotten into it a little bit earlier, um, or decided you wanted to go have, down that style yeah, of riding more. And, and trained, you know, trained properly. Um, maybe I could have, but as I said, I really, I did really focus, um, a lot of my energy on creating stories about the places that I went and contributing content to magazines like yours. And, um, yeah, I, I also really enjoy that. I really enjoy writing and I enjoyed sharing my stories. And, um, so, I guess I just spent my time a little differently, so <laughs> who knows? Well, I think that's a nice way to end it. Say yes, work hard, and um, get every opportunity that comes your way, and you never know where you might end up. Never know. <laughs> I'd be traveling the world. You could well be traveling the world. <laughs> well done. Well, Colleen, thank you very much for your time. Thank um, you, Ru. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. That was fantastic. There we have it. Episode 5, Done and Dusted. I really hope you enjoyed that very insightful conversation with Colleen and I'm thankful for the time that she gave me. I'll have another episode ready for you next week and if you enjoyed this one, be sure to spread the word, tell your friends and share it on social media. Until next week, you've been listening to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater.